promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. The Holy Gospel for the fourth or the fifth Sunday in Lent comes from St. John, the eighth chapter, beginning at the 46th verse. Jesus said, which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is from God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not from God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you. Whoever keeps my word will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets also died. Who do you claim to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me. He of whom you say he is our God, though you do not know him, but I know him. If I would say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. A couple of weeks ago, David Zoll, who's one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite theologians and preachers, shared that he was asked to speak at a local prep school in Virginia about Ash Wednesday. He thought they were asking him to to speak to some middle schoolers, junior highers, maybe even high schoolers. But he realized late at night, the, the night before, as he figured out where they were asking him to park, after he'd already prepped his notes, that they were asking him to actually speak at the lower school, kindergarten through fifth grade, about death. Ash Wednesday. He shows up that next morning. He's like, okay, this will be interesting. Ash Wednesday, elementary school kids, death. This, there shouldn't be any problems. And then he walks in and he discovers they were also celebrating National Reading Week. And Dr. Seuss's birthday, and all the teachers were dressed up in their favorite costumes of their favorite storybook characters. Yeah, he was, he was thinking, well, happy times, fun stuff. And then he gets up to speak, and he tells the kids, basically, well, kids, it's a happy day here at school, but it's, it's kind of a sad day 
over at my church because, well, no one really gets to live forever. We go to be with God. All of us are going to die, and that is why we put ashes on our foreheads. Audible gasps, possibly, you can imagine, from the adults in the room. But the kids, he says, they were riveted. They were interested. They're like, oh, this is interesting. This is cool. Okay, back to class, back to recess. Yay! I think that's maybe because they haven't been jaded by the anti-death, ignored at all costs, pretend it won't happen to you culture that we have here in America. As a pastor, especially one that deals with youth and families and, and children, it's been my experience that kids handle tough questions way better than adults do. Uh, we like to tiptoe around the hard stuff, right? We don't want to talk about certain things. Kids, not really a problem with that. They have no problem telling you you're fat or your hairdo sucks. You're getting bald. Thanks, I didn't notice. They tell it like it is and they're cool with that because they really have no understanding of personal responsibility. Well, David would go on to share that all the kids were, were, were happy about things, but it's the parents and the adults who were wringing their hands, wondering, what just happened? Do we need to have a trust circle? Do we need to cancel class and sit together and sing Kumbaya, make everybody feel better after this mean man got up and talked about some naughty things? When we come to a Sunday where there is going to be a baptism, luckily we have three today, uh, you cannot do anything as a pastor but talk about death and resurrection. When, when Madsons bring forward this morning their, their little heathens to have them washed and given new birth, we're talking about leading them to their death. I'm sure you've talked about that in baptism class before. Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to new life. That's how Paul talks about it in Romans. Baptism, death, resurrection, buried, raised. You don't bury a living person unless you're some sort of sadistic serial killer. But you do bury a dead person. And so in baptism, we're putting to death the old self, the dead you, the old Adam, the sinner that defines you, and raising to new life a saint bought with the precious blood of Jesus. When Jesus is speaking to the crowds here in John 8, his frustration is based around the fact that their sinner ears, their old Adam uh, in each of them and in each of us, had stopped their ears from hearing the promise from his lips. This is not old and this is not new. This is normal in the church, even today. This is the constant reality for us all. Ears are where hearing comes from, right? You know where I'm going to go with this. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Yes, thank you, Pastor. But in our churches on a regular basis, uh, the Spirit needs to come and clean out the earwax of our sin to give us ears to listen to the promises of Christ, ears that hear the call of God upon us, a call to life out of death, a, a, a call that often sounds like death to us, which is why we don't like to hear it. It often seems scary. It often seems to be something that's leading us somewhere that we really don't want to go. Think of Abraham, okay? Genesis 22. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains 
I will tell you about. Um, I'm thinking that's a no, God. I'm good. You promised him to me, and now you want me to get rid of him. This is like a miracle baby, and suddenly you're like, yeah, he's mine now, doesn't belong to you. But does Abraham say that? No, all it says is, Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. That is some ultra-spiritual ninja faith. It's more faith than I could have, and I'm a pastor. Right? That's leveled-up faith. That's like level 37 in Dungeons & Dragons-type faith. That's faith that somehow knows that God is the God of the impossible. God who will kill to make alive, who will open the tombs of our hearts to raise us up, who will take a little water and a little word and adopt three little ones as his own. This is actually why Christ gets so angry with the people here in John 8. If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? Why? Because you are not of me, he says. You don't listen. The ones who listen, who heed my words, who cling to them and guard them as the solemn promise of the Most High God will never see death, regardless of all the death you see around you. Life out of death, resurrection, is not normal focus of our conversations, is it? We have no problem wallowing in our own miseries. We have no problem talking about our latest medical conditions, uh, groaning about our current pains. We read the obituaries, I know you do, We go to the funerals. Some of us go to more than others. We grieve and we sob over the latest friend or family member who dies. We we pass the cemetery every now and then and think we know in our minds that resurrection is not true. The people Jesus is talking to in John 8 hear this word about everlasting life and they use it against Jesus. This is basically what the Greek says. You're nuts, Jesus. You're crazy. Abraham died and so did the prophets. You can tour their tombs here today. You are just a carpenter's son from Galilee, Jesus. How can you make promises like resurrection to me? Melvin Bragg is a TV presenter in England. He's not a Christian, but he loves the church. He loves the Bible. He, he praises all the work of Christianity in English society and all the works of mercy that the church has done down through the centuries. He, he loves the beauty of the architecture. He loves the music. He loves the art. When asked why he loves all those things about the church and is not converted, his response? The resurrection. The resurrection. He can't get past the reality of the possibility of a risen Jesus who died for Melvin and rose that Melvin might be his. Is that some of you this morning? Maybe you like the music and the tradition of the church. You like Jesus the person. You like what he teaches, kind of. But when it comes to the nitty-gritty, death and resurrection, life everlasting, the forgiveness of all your sins, apart from anything you do, unearned favor and mercy for the guilty, that's too much. It's a bridge too far. You like the control. You like to live by sight rather than by faith. You like to listen to the voices of the world that maybe tell you you are an accident. 
You're only here by chance. That if you sin, you better make it up. You better hand over that pound of flesh. You better do better or else. And when you die, darkness, nothingness, absence of thought or feeling, a void that you have no knowledge of because once your heart stops, the end. So why worry about it? I'll leave it to Jesus to burst this bubble for you in a way that we maybe don't see coming this morning. But Christ should blow your minds this morning what he says in John 8. First, your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. That is when we and the people in John 8 can't stand it anymore because we know how time works, right? We know how time works. You are less than 50 years old, Jesus, they say. No way you knew Abraham. He's been dead for 2,000 years or 4,000 for us. And Jesus seems to take it in stride. Yep, he has been. But before Abraham was, what does Jesus say? I am. Jesus dares to take the name of God on his lips. The I am, Yahweh, the God of the Exodus, the one who has always been and always will be. The people understood this in John 8. They understood what he was saying. They want to stone him. Because he dares to make himself equal with God. But he doesn't walk it back. He doesn't say, oh, wait, 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 wait. There's a misunderstanding. No, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm just kidding. Jinx. This is the best mic drop in all of history. He says this and walks away. Making sure that they hear him say, I'm the living God in your midst. Resurrection is true because I am true. And because I live, you will live. Listen and trust me. Let's go back to our main verse this morning, verse 56 of John 8. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. What does Jesus mean? Well, exactly what he says. Uh, Abraham longed for Christ. Abraham longed for resurrection. He longed for the substitutionary atonement. He longed for the promise to be fulfilled. He longed for the word of God to make himself manifest as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this longing, this rejoicing, all began that day in Moriah. Genesis 22. Hear God's call again. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Abraham longs for the day of Christ because on that day of Jesus, it is God who takes his only son, the son he loves, and says, I'm going to send my son to my people and offer him up on a mountain. As it says in Genesis 22.6, Abraham took the, the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. So too, the I am will take the wood of the cross and lay it on his son, Jesus, and have him walk up that mountain called Calvary for you. For Alyssa, for Jonathan, for Andrew. Whereas Abraham bound his sons, so Christ is bound to the cross. Because the fulfillment of Abraham's prophecy here in Genesis 22 comes true on Good Friday on a hill outside Jerusalem. God himself will provide the lamb. Abraham longed and rejoiced in seeing that day of Jesus because Abraham saw it on that mountain firsthand in the thicket, right? A ram caught, 
handed over by God to take the place of Isaac, knowing that one day Abraham will be in Isaac's place and God will intercede for Abraham through his son as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, the death to end all death, the life that comes to you through a word of promise. Listen and live. Abraham rejoices. And Isaac learns the lesson, too, that the Lord, the I Am, Jehovah Jireh, is the provider of all that is necessary for this body and life, as our catechism says, including life out of death. The story was probably told around campfires, that family, for generations. So long, in fact, that it's recorded here in Holy Scripture for you. And there that we might remember that on the Mount of the Lord it will be provided for you, for Alyssa, for Jonathan, for Andrew. For Isaac, it was a ram in the thicket at Moriah. For you, it is Christ at Calvary. Think about this. Let it go into your ears, church, this morning. God sends his son himself to bear your sin, your idolatry, your walking away, your unbelief, your faithlessness, your curse. He does this so that you might stop trying to save yourself because dead people can't raise themselves. But the living God can, and he does. So when the Madsons come forward today, it is their Mariah moment. The, the story can be told of the lamb provided on a hill for them. A sacrifice made for little girls and little boys. And also that the dead might live again. Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to new life. A new Alyssa, a new Jonathan, a new Andrew, a new you. This day is a day of life and good news for dead and dying people, church. Because I hate to tell you, you're going to die. I know, happy, right? Cupcakes, let's go. You're going to die. You will. Trust me. It's a 100% guarantee unless Jesus comes back soon. But the reality is you already died once in your baptism. And if you're not baptism, baptized, why wait? Come see me. See Pastor Chris. We'll get taken care of. We'll, we'll teach you a little bit about what Lutheran baptism is. And then water, words, and witnesses, we're good. We'll take care of it. Have baptism as the seal, the down payment, the earnest money of God's Spirit poured out over you so that you become his child, written into his will, so that when the day comes of your last breath, the book is open and there lies your name in God's family tree. Family tree of the children of God. Christ came to the world for that purpose, to make a new you out of the old, dead you. Isn't that what John tells us in chapter 3? Be born again. Or even better, chapter 1. I like chapter 1 a little bit better for this morning. But to all who received him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, you were born not of natural descent, meaning... Well, grandma's a Christian. I guess I am. No, it doesn't work that way. We're of the will of the flesh because mom and dad have the baby. No, it doesn't work that way either. We're of the will of man. I'll do it myself. No, it doesn't work that way either. Born of God. May that be for you this morning, loved ones. Be new in Christ, a new you with a new beginning because Christ has made it so. Happy Lent.
Thanks be to God. Amen.